You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning. My name is CJ. I'm a member here at Red Sea, and I have the privilege this morning of doing our congregational prayer where we get a chance to pray over everybody, and um, I'm very thankful for that. I've been, before I start, I just wanted to, to say that uh, I love you guys and that a lot of the things that the Lord teaches me, I, I can only assume that a lot of you are facing similar things, and so as I pray this today, I'm, I'm hoping that um, you guys will kind of relate to it and, 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 and it makes sense for you. Um, I've been, I just, I've kind of admitted this before in front of people, but just kind of give a brief, quick thing. I have suffered from anxiety and depression, and it kind of rears its ugly head certain times in my life through different seasonal situations. And so I've been really listening a lot the last three weeks to some truth on my drives um, back and forth from work on the armor of God. And so my prayer this morning is going to be centering around that. So if we can bow our heads. And focus ourselves. Heavenly Father, I just want to take this morning to acknowledge who you are and what you stand for. As I kind of have been reflecting and looking upon things recently in the last three weeks, um, there's a lot of things that can influence us in this world. Um, Circumstances, situations, Events in our life that are happening can, can turn us in different directions, guide us different ways. But as I've thought about it, I think of one thing that's always been consistent from the beginning that has never changed. As life all around us constantly in flux, there's one consistent, one rock, one thing that we've been always been able to look to and say it is faithful, it, is, it perseveres, it lasts forever, and that is you, Father. I have a call this morning that with, for all of us in this room to, whatever's going on in our lives, to turn back to you and realize that you've been there since the beginning. You're here now, and you'll be here for eternity. You're the one constant. And so what else can we put our trust in but that? The one thing that's always been and always will be. And that brings me immense comfort to know that even though when I feel like my life is going up and down and all over the place, that there's one thing I can always go back to, and it will always be there. It's consistent. It's a rock. It'll never sink. And I just pray that we can all turn our hearts to you, Father. You are that rock. And I admit I don't. I've, I find I go down these twisty paths, and I'm, I know most of us in here could say the same thing. We lose sight, and we forget. And we wander away, and then we realize why we've fallen. But you're a loving God, and you always take us back. You're always there with loving arms to embrace us, to love us, to care for us, and provide for us. Lord, I want to go through your armor this morning and kind of some things you've been teaching me that I feel that the congregation, too, um, believes and needs some reminder of. Lord, you talk about your armor. We'll start with the belt of truth that you ask us to put on each and every day. Lord, I know that 
I believe in lies, that my emotions run up and down. Um, and there is only one source of truth that I need to fully put my trust in, and that's the truth you provide. I thank you for your scriptures and the things that you have taught us and that you have provided for us truth. And so I ask that this congregation make sure that they are spending time in your truth, Father, because it's so easy to get off of it and believe in the lies that are out there that steer us away. Lord, I pray for their hearts, the congregation's hearts this morning, with the breastplate of righteousness. May they look at that truth and act. May their heart follow what you have taught us and that you protect their hearts and that we can put on that armor and always be checking where our heart is guiding us and that it be guided towards you. Lord, I pray for the, the footwear, the gospel of peace. Lord, if anything can bring us peace in this world, it's your gospel. When things are going all over the place, we can look back to your gospel and we can find a peace that passes all understanding. That we can find rest when things around us don't seem like they're going well. We can stand in a place where others can't, which is on you and your death on the cross. That you have conquered sin. You bring the power over it. And we can rest in that. Lord, we, we turn to you with the shield of faith. I pray for Red Sea that we can look to your truth and take action on it. Faith is, is an action. We believe, but we also do. And I know for me, that's in my Christian walk at this time, that's really what uh, I feel is a challenge. And you've been stretching me. And I think there's a lot of others I talk to in the congregation. It's the same way. It's one thing to really believe in what you say, but it's another thing to actually do what you say. And so I pray that we can take action and put up that shield of faith and extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. Hmm. And the helmet of salvation, Father, we've been saved. And the amazing part is it has nothing to do with us when it comes to our abilities to save ourselves. It's all a gift, a gift of grace from you that you provided this avenue, you provided this path, and it's so refreshing that that amount of love that we feel when we realize that we have no part in that. It was all you. And we can rest in that truth of the gift that you've given us of salvation, Lord, that you, you saved us and that you love us. And that should be protecting our minds as the helmet does, protecting our minds with that truth at all times. And Lord, the truth of your, of your sword, the truth of the, of the sword, Father, and um, the sword of the Spirit, that it can pierce all things and can cut through the lies and we can focus back on the truths that you provide. And so as we end the, the, the armor of God, I just pray as it ends in the text here that we can spread your gospel, that this, is, this armor is, is something that all people can have if they turn to you and they learn to walk with you. And so I encourage Red Sea and myself to re- continually seek to tell people about you, about your amazing news, the good news, the gospel, um, that you've provided a way, like we sang earlier, the way, the truth, and the life are only through you, Father. And so we thank you this morning. We acknowledge you. We humble ourselves before you as we listen to truth from Josh. In your precious name, amen.
Thank you, CJ, for uh, praying the word uh, over us. As CJ said, my name is Josh. I'm one of the elders here at Red Sea. Uh, I get the privilege of teaching here along with uh, a couple of other guys. And so if you're new with us and you don't like what I have to say today, come back next week because it won't be me. Somebody else will be back up here. And so it's always a positive spin on everything. Uh, Jamie and I have a monthly date night. Uh, it's kind of been a commitment of ours ever since I can remember to try to get out once a month and go on a date, uh, just the two of us. And so uh, our ideal date night is uh, a local restaurant because we don't want to cook dinner. So going to a local restaurant, uh, I can't stand sitting in traffic on a date night. So I, I know there's lots of like these amazing places throughout Portland that I could go to, but I just really don't want to sit in traffic. So I love to find a local restaurant. And then it gets really exciting after that. We go find the Red Box, we get a movie, and then we go home to an empty house and we watch a movie and go to bed early. Right there. Uh, there's no salsa dancing, none of that stuff in our, in our relationship. Uh, that's like a good date night for us. And so we got to have that just this past week. We went out, went to Dubs here in St. John's. Dubs just moved to a new location, had some amazing fried catfish, which is coming from a southerner that says something. Um, and then we went to the Red Box to pick up a movie. Now, in our relationship, uh, there, there's this dynamic in movie picking. Uh, you know, I'm... Oh, uh, hey, we're going to talk about this, honey. Uh, I won't say anything embarrassing. Uh, Jamie uh, likes chick flicks, right? And uh, or romance movies, and I like action movies, guy movies. And so we tend to, like, rotate back and forth between, like, I get to pick a movie and she gets to pick a movie. I don't know if anybody else's relationship works like that. But um, it was uh, her turn to pick, and she had, had this movie that she had heard about called The Mountain Between Us. And I'm like, that sounds like an interesting title for a date night movie. Um, and it's a really, really interesting movie, though. So we picked the movie up, and we went back home and, and, uh, and watched it. And it was actually a really good hybrid of, like, action-adventure and romance at the same time. But this, this idea of this movie is these two very different people get on a plane together. They have to charter a plane, and the plane winds up crashing in the snowy mountains. And uh, these two people are stuck together, and they have to learn to survive together uh, out in the wilderness. And so the, as the movie unfolds, it's two very different people who, through crisis, uh, learn to love one another and, and learn and, and grow in their relationship with one another. And, uh, and as I was watching the movie and I was kind of reflecting back on it, uh, that, that idea of, these, of, of, of learning to love and trust in the journey uh, reminded me a lot of our relationship with God. Because I believe that many times our relationship with God starts in our head. It's, it's truth, right? I mean, if you grew up in church as a kid, you're taught truths about God's Word, so you know it in your head. But then it's through the journey of God, with God, that that truth then moves down into your heart. And as you look back on the journey with God as you've walked, that's where this idea of faith comes in and trust in God as you've seen Him provide for you over the years and walk with you through these different challenges. That's what we've been looking at in the book of Genesis. We've been watching this journey of a guy named Abram walk with God and seeing God's faithfulness to provide, on him, to provide him, uh, we're calling the series The Promise. And it's Genesis 12 all the way through chapters 23. Because it started in chapter 12 with God showing up to Abraham and making a promise to Abraham. Abram, I'm sorry. He's not Abraham yet. He's Abram. And he told Abram, I want you to leave uh, your home in Ur and I want you to go to Canaan. And there I'm going to uh, make you a great name. I'm going to bless you. 
Uh, I'm going to give you many descendants, and all the world is going to be blessed through you. And so Abraham, he just packs his bags, everything he has, his family, his nephew Lot, his beautiful wife, Sariah, and they, they head out. And they get to Canaan, and everything looks so good in the journey right at the beginning until he runs into his first problem. See, he's in a new land, and if he wants to establish himself in a new land, he has to have permission from whoever's ruling that land. And so he goes to Pharaoh in Egypt, and he was going to present himself and say, hey, can I settle in your land? Can I, can I bring in my flocks? Can I invest in this area? But there's a problem. Abraham's wife is so beautiful that he knows the Egyptians are going to try to kill him and take her to be his own. So Abraham comes to this first moment when he has to trust God, and he fails. What does he do? He lies about her. He says, no, she's, she's my sister. She's not really my wife, which technically isn't lying, because back then she actually was related to him as a sister. So Pharaoh takes Abraham's wife. Well, how's God going to make a great nation out of a man that no longer has a wife that's with Pharaoh? So God brings a plague upon Pharaoh and a plague upon Egypt. And Pharaoh kind of realizes what's going on here. And so he goes back to Abraham, what did you, what did you give me your wife for? Like, take your wife. And so they, he not only gets his wife back, but Pharaoh blesses him with much possessions. And he's allowed to go and establish himself. And so right in the beginning, we see those, those four themes that we talked about at the beginning of the series of God's going to have just grace upon Abraham. It's going to be divine grace. Abraham's going to have to trust God. But God's going to bless Abraham, and Abraham's going to be a blessing to everyone around him. So the next scene that comes up in the book of Genesis is uh, another opportunity that Abraham has to trust God. And this time, he's a great model of faithfulness. It happens when him and his nephew Lot are, are so prosperous, their herds are getting so big that they can no longer share the land together. And so they go up on a mountain, and Abraham gives Lot first choice of any of the land. You can take anything you want, and and Lot looks around, he sees the area of the Jordan Valley, he sees uh, the area around Sodom, and even though Sodom's a really bad place, he says, I want that, because that's what looks good to me, and Abraham takes the other land. Well, that was was trusting God, right? That that Abraham had to say, okay, I'm not going to do necessarily what I think's best in my mind, but I'm going to trust you. Well, then what happens shortly after that? The area of Sodom is invaded by other kings, other nations. And they come in and they, they take captive Lot and they take captive the king of Sodom and they take captive, captive the king of Melchizedek. And God tells Abraham, I want you to be a blessing to the nations. So you're going to go and you're going to rescue all them. So Abraham takes his men and he winds up rescuing Lot and he winds up rescuing uh, the king of Sodom and, and king Melchizedek, Melchizedek. Okay? And once again, Abraham is, is placed at this opportunity where he has to trust God. Because the king of Sodom comes to him and says, you know, you can, you can take all the, the possessions, but give me the people. And Abraham says, no, I'm not going to take anything from you. I'm going to trust God to provide for me. You take whatever you want and go. Right? Remember that? And then the, the, uh, the, the king and high priest Melchizedek, he comes and he, he does an offering before the Lord. And Royce last week unpacked what that represented, the foreshadowing of the priesthood. The foreshadowing is Jesus of our high priest in in Hebrews. Really difficult passage, which I think he did an excellent job on. So I unpack all of that because in our passage today, 
it, it starts off right in the beginning, and it says, and after all these things, okay? Abraham now has some, some context for his faith. He has some history with God. When he left Ur, it was a divine act of grace that he did it in the first place. I mean, that God just opened up his mind to believe it. But now as he's journeyed with God, he's seen God's provision, right? He's, he's seeing what God's doing, and he's kind of wrestling with this, this process of how God is choosing to work. Well, in our chapter today, chapter 15, uh, God is going to uh, display his grace to Abraham again. And that he's going to take that promise that he made Abraham, and he's going to seal it with a covenant. Abraham is going to have this visual reminder of the promises of God that he's going to be able to constantly look back on as he journeys with the Lord. So we're going to read about it here in Genesis 15. I'll invite you guys to stand up. Uh, We like to stand up uh, as we read the Word. We stand under the authority of the Word, focusing our hearts on it, uh, believing that it changes us. So I'm going to read all of chapter 15. That's going to be up here on the screens. And afterwards, I just want to say a prayer over our time together. So that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, and a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Rephaim, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word uh, to Abraham uh, so many thousands of years ago. uh, ago. We thank you for uh, your plan that Abraham could not fully comprehend. He could not fully grasp. 
but he believed you and he trusted you. I pray today uh, we too will walk in faith, believing and trusting you, although we may not always see and know exactly what you're doing. Thank you for your word. I pray it would sink deep into our hearts and teach us to trust and have faith in you. We ask this in your name. Amen. So as Abraham is on this journey with God, uh, he finds himself in a, a really interesting place. He finds himself stuck between the promises of God and the reality of his circumstances. See, Abraham in obedience, he went to Canaan. But now he's there and he doesn't understand why he hasn't been able to have a child. I don't think that he doubts that God's going to provide. He wouldn't have left if he had doubted. But he definitely doubts how God is going to provide. That tension is such a hard place to be. I think in our journey with God, all of us can, can look back on a time when we were stuck between the promises of God, the things we knew to be true about Him and His plan, and then the reality of our circumstances. And although that is a hard place to be, it is not a bad place to be. Because it's in that moment between what I know to be true about God and the reality of my life that faith is made evident. Faith is a, is a muscle. It is stretched. Muscles are made bigger by being broken. And it's through times of crisis that God grows our faith. God is stretching Abraham. But we have to remember, God is not just stretching him. God's stretching his original audience. Who wrote the book of Genesis? It was Moses. Who's he writing to? He's writing to the Israelites as they're wandering in the wilderness. So everything that happens in the life of Abraham is is meant to be a picture of what's going on in the life of the Jews as they're wandering in the wilderness. So just as Abraham's on this journey with God, looking for God's faithfulness, Abraham is wandering, or uh, Moses is wandering in the wilderness. The same way, looking for the faithfulness of God. And in our text, Abraham, or God comes to Abraham, and I I love that. Once again, it's God who does the initiating. Just like God came to Abraham in chapter 12, God shows up to Abraham again. Throughout Abraham's journey, God's going to show up in his grace and his mercy and just remind him of something that he's forgotten. God shows up to Abraham. And Abraham, in the presence of God, in this vision that God gives him, God says, Abraham, I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, Abraham's really struggling with this whole shield plan, right? In his mind, it's not working out the way that I thought it was going to work out, the way that I thought you were going to provide. And so God, in his mercy upon Abraham, gives him a visual demonstration. I love how visual God is. All throughout his story, he continues to give us visuals so that we can see communion. It's a visual, something we can see and taste and touch. So God takes Abraham outside and he says, Abraham, I want you to look up into the sky. And if you can count those stars, that is how blessed you are going to be. Now, I know that visual probably doesn't resonate too much with us city slickers. I mean, we go outside and there's a whole 12 stars that we can see in the beautiful Portland night sky a couple of months out of the year that we can actually see the stars in Portland. But you guys have all been camping, right? Been out to eastern Oregon, 
middle of the night and just see the, the beauty, right? The brightness of the stars, stars upon stars upon stars. I was reading an article recently that the earth is putting out more light right now than it ever has in human history, uh, primarily due to developing countries. As, as countries' economies grow, they're producing more light, but also have to do with the, uh, the cost of electricity and LED lighting has, has dropped significantly. And because of that, we are now using more power than we've ever used, and we're producing more light. Well, what that does is it washes out the sky that we can see. So on the darkest, most remote place in central Oregon, it would not have compared to what Abraham would have seen thousands of years ago when he looked up in the sky and he saw these stars and it said that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, I love that because nothing had changed about, about uh, Abram's circumstances, right? They were still getting older. His wife was still childless. He was still in this new place. But it says that he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. That verse... And Genesis chapter 15 is quoted four times in the New Testament. And every time it's used, and Abraham is used as an example of someone who is justified by their faith, by their trust in God. See, faith or a lack of it is most apparent in a time of crisis. And Abraham was definitely in crisis. Abraham believed God would give him a son, and it's that belief in the promise of God that led to Abraham's righteousness. Abraham is a model for us, is that example when the faith of a follower of Christ moves from your head and moves down into your heart. Abraham displays that that peace that passes all understanding that Paul talked about in the book of Philippians. It was interesting for me as I was reading the text to think, well, why did God do the light thing now? Like, why didn't he do it back in Ur? Like, why didn't he start with that visual? That's how I would have done it, right? Abraham, come outside. Look up. You see all the stars? That's how many descendants you're going to have. Well, what's different now about Abraham's relationship with God? He's moved, right? He's in movement with God. And I, I think we, we can't miss that point, although it's, it's implied there. But Abraham demonstrates for us movement with God. He's had steps of obedience that he's taken. See, I think, I think too many times we want to see the provision of God before we're willing to take a step of obedience or a step of faith. God, I'll I'll walk through the door if you'll open it. God, I'll do this. And sometimes we just have to take steps of obedience, and it's in the process of of moving forward that God's blessing comes and God's confirmation comes. It's interesting here that, that Abraham, he almost like questions God, doesn't he? I mean, he's moving with God. They're on this journey, and he's like, God, what are you doing? Like, I can't see it. I think it's okay to do that. It's okay to come to these times in your faith where you're, you're walking with God and you say, God, I'll be honest with you. I do not know what you are doing right now. And to ask, 
God, what, what are you doing? What's going on? What's the plan? We can do that in our relationship with God. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane knew exactly what God was doing. And he said, if there's any other way, take this from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Man, that's, whew, that's a good place to be. Like, God, we're walking in this journey, and I don't know what's next. I believe, I, I trust you, but I just, I, I struggle with seeing it. I had this uh, a season in my own life recently of, of walking that journey with the Lord. Uh, and I came to a place in my faith last year, toward the end of last year, where I was on these, this crossroad, and I'd, I'd always known, like, here's where we're going, and here's how we're going to get there. Uh, walking this journey with the Lord, and, and it was a journey that has been a, a decade-long journey, or more than that. It's been about 12 years now of just uh, leaving, leaving Alabama and, and, and moving up here and, and being a part of Red Sea. And, and, and I was so sure where we were going, then I came to this crossroads, and I was like, wait, now there's these, all these other paths. And I had to, in that moment, say, God, where are we going? Because I don't want to go ahead of you because I don't know where we're going, for one thing. I don't want to lag behind you. I want to be right where you are. So that's a discerning process of asking God, of opening up the Word, of seeking godly counsel and saying, Father, where are we going? And it was so interesting for me having to to walk that journey with the Lord. And one of the things that He taught me uh, that that I kind of look back on that circumstance is he taught me that I wanted to move forward without having to change. So I, I came to this crossroad and I saw these different paths. And the path that I wanted to walk down, it was a path of me not having to change. Of me being comfortable. It was my well-worn path, right? That's it. And God said, oh no, there's an uncomfortable path ahead of you. And it was in that moment, that crisis, that my faith was stretched and, and it was breaking. But God affirmed once again, this is where we're going. God does that to Abraham. He says, Abraham, do you trust me? I know you can't see the end result, but I need you to trust me. Can you imagine how affirming this story would have been for the Jews wandering in the wilderness? For Moses, I mean, he's right there in the shoes of Abraham. Where are we going? I did not think the promised land involved 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. I never signed up for that. But what was God doing? He was sanctifying them in the wilderness, wasn't he? In a big way for a lot of them. Trust the journey. Well, God, he doesn't just stop there in the text. God is going to do something really powerful here. And he's going to take the promise that he made to Abraham, and he's going to turn it into a covenant. Now, we'll have to remember, we are not the original audience of the the text. So many times, it's not going to make any sense to us. Uh, We were kind of talking about this in our prayer meeting before the service. Like, what in the world is going on here with the animals and the torch and the pot thing. Like, this, this is really, really weird. So what we do is we take, our, we take ourselves and we put ourselves in the shoes of the original audience. Now, a couple of things that we need to remember about relationships in the ancient Near East culture. Relationships back then were governed 
by treaties between big kings and little kings, okay? There was always a great king, and there was always a lower king, or called a vassal king. And many times the vassal king would would enter into a relationship with the big king, and terms would be set for their relationship. The great king would promise protection and blessing. In return, the vassal king would give loyalty and obedience. That's the basic structure of a covenant. This is what was happening at the time of Abraham's life. It was still happening at the time of Moses' life. They would have understood this visual imagery. Now, the covenant in the Bible becomes more structured as you read the text. It's not a new idea. In the Garden of Eden, God covenanted with Adam and Eve, didn't he? I created all of this. I am big king. You are little king. Steward well what I have created. Okay? That's a covenant relationship. Same thing with Noah when he gets off the ark. I saved you. I am the the, the big king. You now, Noah, go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God comes to Abraham and says, I am the provider. I am the one who knows what's going to happen. I will provide the protection. I will provide the resources. But what I expect out of you is obedience. Well, this covenant idea doesn't take its full form until God covenants with Moses. At that point, the covenant has a a king, God. He's up on the mountain, right? And they're all looking at him. You have the covenant written on a stone tablet so that it remains steadfast. The covenant is read over the people every year. There's, There's holidays to celebrate the covenant. But we're not quite there yet in our story. God's still forming this covenant. Now, another interesting thing about a covenant in the Near East culture, it was not uh, an obligation. It was not just a contract. But it was an agreement involving the shedding of blood. Have you ever heard of the phrase, let's cut a deal? The shedding of blood. That's where that came from. Well, here's something real interesting about the ancient Near East culture, which helps us understand the, what seems like brutality of the animals in this, uh, in this text. Uh, in ancient Near East cultures, uh, the covenant was always sealed in blood. And the sealed was in the, an animal's blood, animal sacrifice of, of some kind. But animals weren't just sacrificed to seal, to seal a covenant. They were many times cut in half. They were many times mutilated They would even rip one of the animal's legs off and shove it down the animal's throat. And they would do it as a visual reminder of what would happen if you broke the covenant. Okay? So they would take these animals, they would mutilate them, and they would place them on two sides here. And then the great king would stand outside and he would watch the vassal king walk through the middle of the mess and the vassal king had, had knew, like he had this visual, I know what I'm about to get myself into, and I know, the, I know the consequences of covenant unfaithfulness. Can you see what's going on here in the story now? Abraham goes to God and says, God, I, I'm, I'm not sure like, that you're really going to do what you said you're going to do. And God said, okay, we're, we'll, we'll covenant together. And so can you just 
just think about Abraham as, as he's had this experience with the stars and he knows the promises of God to be true. And then he's literally cutting these animals in half. Blood and entrails, right? I mean, it's, it's a messy, messy scene. And then Abraham is about to have to walk right through the middle of this stuff. And their relationship is going to be sealed in blood. Okay? But something really interesting happens in the story. Something completely unexpected happens in the story. God puts Abraham to sleep. Interesting, huh? Like, how's Abraham going to walk through the middle of the sacrifice and uphold his end of the covenant if he's asleep? And then God shows up, and he walks through the covenant. He walks through the middle of the sacrifice. And he does it in the form of, of, a, of a, a smoking pot and a flaming torch. Well, that imagery would have been completely familiar to the Jews wandering through the wilderness. What was leading them by day and by night? The cloud of fire, wasn't it? What showed up on the mountain when they were going to covenant with God? Smoke and fire. So the visuals they would have understood. And, and the Jews going through the wilderness would have said, yep, I remember when God did that. He's going to be faithful to the covenant. So now that we understand what's going on here, we understand the animal sacrifices, we understand the fact that God shows up as, a, as, as smoke and fire, okay? Why did God pass through the covenant? I mean, why did God pass through the sacrifice? Because God knew that Abraham was not going to be able to uphold his end of the agreement, didn't he? Next week, Chris is going to unpack Genesis 16 and 17. And the next thing that happens in the text after this sacrifice is Abraham going into his servant Hagar to have a, a child because he doesn't trust God. I mean, that's the next thing that happens. Abraham cannot uphold the, the covenant. God is the only one who can offer the covenant as the covenant king, but he can also uphold the covenant as the covenant mediator. And he knows that Abraham is going to be disloyal to him. How about the Jewish people as they're learning and, and reading this text? Literally, God is showing up on the mountain to them He's giving them the law to teach them how to be in an intimate relationship with them. He's rescued them out of Egypt. What do they do? Make a golden calf and start worshiping it in his absence. I mean, come on. Like, we can't read these stories and not see humanity's rebellion against a holy and righteous God. And God knows that. He knows that we're not only don't trust him, but we'll constantly wander down these paths that we're not supposed to go down. But in his grace and his love for us, he continually comes to us and he redeems us and he brings us back to him. He fulfills the covenant. Was God faithful to Abraham? Did he make him into a great nation? Yes. Historically, we know that. That great nation is still around. It's the only great nation that's lasted these thousands of years. Did God take the Jews to the promised land and give him everything he said they would, he would? Yes. He upheld his end of the covenant. But more than all of those things, did God 
make a way for all to be through him, all people to come to him. It's right there. Sign of the covenant that he fulfilled both ends of the covenant. See, what happens here in Abraham's life is so much bigger than Abraham's life. It is so much bigger than what happens to the Jewish people. This sacrifice is foreshadowing what Jesus is going to do. Because when Jesus comes to the earth, he comes as a covenant mediator. He comes and he lives his life. And the reason the cross is so brutal and it's so bloody is because a price had to be paid for covenant unfaithfulness. Just as God walked through the middle of that sacrifice, Jesus Christ will become that sacrifice. And so now we're going to get ready. We're going to come to these tables. And God, once again in His grace, He gives us these visual pictures. And it's such a beautiful picture, the bread and the wine. It reminds us that He has been faithful to provide a way for us to come to Him. But let's not forget what the visual represents. It represents a bloody mess. I am so thankful for God's grace upon my life. God giving me His blessings. But I'm also so thankful for mercy. Because mercy is not getting what I deserve. Right? So that's what we need to be reminded of. And, and, and I, as I looked on this, this journey that I had walked through with God, and I believe Abraham, is, as he wakes up from this sleep and realizes what God has done, he's going to know that God is going to be faithful to do what he said he's going to do. And thousands of years later, God is still faithful to do what he said he was going to do. So that's why you walk in faith and not by sight. Trusting him. So I don't know what that looks like in your journey with God. I don't know where you're at in the crossroads. I don't know what it is, that step of obedience that you're struggling with. How do I move forward in that area? What's God doing in the midst of my family and my relationships, my job? But if you want to know if he's faithful, just look to the cross. Be reminded of the grace. Be reminded of the mercy. Be reminded of what we deserve because of unfaithfulness and be washed by grace and then step forward in faith and obedience. That's what it looks like to journey with God over and over and over again. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, man, your word is just amazing. Uh, God, the, the way that you chose to work is so encouraging for me and for us thousands of years later. I mean, 4,000 years later after this incident, we still today are feeling the impact of your plan to redeem all of humanity. And Father, as, as we come to the tables right now to take communion, would, would you give us that visual of walking through a bloody sacrifice? Would, would we be reminded of how faithful you are and how good you are? And with that lead us to then trust in you and would it be counted to us as righteousness just like it was counted to Abraham that our circumstances would not change but our understanding of who you are in the midst of our circumstances would pray you would do that God were you faithful to Israel 
Yes, because you're a good father. Were you faithful to Abraham? Yes, because you're a good father. Were you faithful to all of us? Yes, because you're a good, good father. And we want to respond to you now and singing to you the realities. And as we sing, God, just shape our hearts. Allow it to sink deep and to shape us into the image of Christ. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.